Introducing Spectacle, the ultimate eyewear experience. We offer a carefully curated collection of logo-free frames, so the focus is on you. We're located at 505 Tremont Street in Boston's historic South End neighborhood. Keep in mind that we only look expensive. Hope to see you soon, and enjoy the day. Baby Loves Tacos proudly supports the Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico podcast. Since 2016, we've been serving soulful whole Mexican style food out of a tiny storefront, 4508 Liberty Avenue in the Bloomfield section of Pittsburgh. Um, we believe in supporting the arts, community-based initiatives, and podcasts like Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico because uh, they add a richness and vibrancy to our lives, uh, help to connect people, build community, and uh, demonstrate that following your, your dreams and your passions and holding on to relationships and spreading the love and support that we hear so much about on the podcast uh, is, is really the only way to combat um, ever-changing world where big businesses and corporations are uh, squeezing out the small guy. So if you haven't already subscribed, if you don't support via Patreon um, or any of the other platforms, I would strongly encourage you to do so. It's a real privilege to listen to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico, and it's a privilege to, to hear the stories about um, you know, Steve's experiences with many bands, uh, promoting, managing, and the really awesome stories from his guests. Something I look forward to every week, sometimes twice a week. And, um, you know, my life would be very different if I didn't have Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico to look forward to. All right, take care. I want to tell you about Joe's albums in their two locations. The original shop at 317 Main Street in downtown Worcester, Massachusetts, and their second location at 5 Market Street in the college hipster town of Northampton on Western Massachusetts. These are two amazing stores to go buy vinyl, both new and used, and a lot of other cool stuff too. It's hard to walk in either locale without walking out empty-handed due to their amazing collection of records and other cool goodies like t-shirts, mugs, posters, etc. And if you can't find what you're looking for in the retail shops, check out joesalbums.com. They got everything there, man. Everything. Well, maybe not everything, but almost everything. Joe's albums. We love them and you will too. Check out Joe's stores and tell them Twisted Rico sent you. Welcome to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo, and I'm not here. I'm actually in Southern California with my feet stuck in the sand. Well, I might be back by now, but this is a replay of a show that happened in August 2022. It was recorded at Voice Motel in Somerville, and it's with the great Richie Parsons. And we talk about Unnatural Acts, Band 19, Tomato Monkey, Future Dads, and just all the cool shows that Richie went to because he's one of the cool Boston rock dudes that's been around. He actually saw the Runaways at the Rat. And anyone that was at that show, all I can say is, wow, I wish I was there. Anyway, we will be back next week 
with new shows. But for now, I want to play you this show, uh, number 167 from August 2022 with Richie Parsons. hear us talk about Baby Loves Tacos in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania every week. And there's good reason why. Their food is fabulous. And they have two really cool, awesome locations. The main hub located at 4508 Liberty Avenue in the Bloomfield section of Pittsburgh. And their newer locale, Baby Loves Tacos, Thunderdome. Located right smack in the middle of the University of Pittsburgh campus and the Oakland section of town. If you like Mexican cuisine, Baby Loves Tacos is the place to eat. For daily updates on what's happening with the Baby Loves family, head over to Baby Loves Tacos Instagram page, at Baby Loves Tacos. And if you're anywhere near Pittsburgh, stop by Baby Loves Tacos, tell them Twisted Rico sent you. Baby Loves Tacos, where everybody eats. Hello, ladies and gents. Introducing Spectacle, the ultimate eyewear experience. Located in Boston's historic South End neighborhood, Spectacle offers four-season-style service at Red Roof Inn prices. Join proprietor Paul Fox as he guides you through a carefully curated collection of logo-free frames, all at under prices. Visit Spectacle, the ultimate eyewear experience.
Welcome to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. We have some Boston rock royalty in the room this week as we will be joined by Richie Parsons. In fact, you just heard the tune Beverly from Richie's 2018 solo album, Black Throated Blue, which we found out was named after a bird. I didn't know that until today. I didn't know what a black throated blue was. And I asked Richie and he tells us all about it and the interview. Uh, talk about a legendary career. Richie has played with many great bands, perhaps the most famous Unnatural Acts. He was in the Future Dads, Band 19, Tomato Monkey, one of my favorites of his bands. And as Rick Hart told us when he was on the show, one of his favorites as well. And he's still going at it. He released a couple of solo records. We get into all of that. So hold on to your seat. We're going to be playing that interview for you shortly. I, I don't know why I want to talk about this some more, probably because it's been such a painful part of my life lately that I figured I would talk about it. Uh, I mentioned it last week a little bit. My car was parked in front of my house. Somebody smashed into it. They called the cops. I didn't even have to call the cops because it was a truck and he drove into it. Finally, when I got done with the insurance company, I got a auto repair person on the phone. They told me it was probably going to take 45 to 90 days because of the parts. They're hard to get these days for Toyotas. That's what they told me. I tried to get a rent a car. I called their, their insurance company like eight times. You don't want to get in an accident is the moral of the story. Okay. I tried to get a rent a car from them and they're like, well, the other party hasn't filed a report yet. And this was eight days after the accident. They still didn't Follow report. And our other problem is the police haven't sent the stair report. So basically, I've been without a car for like, you know, it'll be two weeks by the time this airs. And I've given up trying to get a rent a car. So I'm just hoping that they fix my $7,800 worth of damage on my car and get my car back to me soon. So I've been dealing with that crap. To get here this morning, which is, I live an hour from here. I had to get a ride to the train station, which was 20 minutes from my house, take an hour, the commuter rail, which took an hour. Then I had to take an Uber to Somerville from there. It was like, what the fuck? The, all the shit I had to go through to get here. But you know what? In the famous words of Freddie Mercury, the show must go on. And that's why I'm here. So, um, hmm. And that's why, you know, Richie Parsons coming in. Had to. Before I talk about Richie or talk to Richie, I went to Newberry Comics yesterday because Richie used to work for Newberry. We talk about that. I went to the Newberry Comics out in Northampton, and even though I'm low on cash, they were having a buy two, get one free sale, so I couldn't resist on that. It had to have a little orange sticker on it, so I went through the whole section, and these are the three records I bought. Neil Young Comes a Time. I don't know why. Maybe because I didn't have that in my Neil Young collection. It's with Crazy Horse, so you know it's good. It was decent, didn't blow me away, but I listened to all these records after I got them. The next one I bought was That Dog, old LP. I was a huge fan of the band in the 90s. Anna Wernicker, I've been a fan of hers. I have her so one of her solo records, which is, I think, pretty good. And they had returned to record a few years ago as a three-piece. Petra Hayden wasn't part of it, but her sister, Rachel, twin sister, was on bass, Tony Maxwell on drums. And Anna on guitar and vocals, of course, they produced it. Anna in the band. They had some really cool guests. Charlene Caffey, Graham Coxon from Blur, Maya Rudolph. Yes, that Maya Rudolph sang some background vocals on the record. 
Jeff McDonald of Red Cross, who is Anna's brother-in-law. She's been married to Stephen McDonald from Red Cross forever. It was pretty cool. I mean, I liked the record. It was a lot different than the earliest stuff. They seemed to not be as hard anymore. They're more kind of mainstream sounding, but it was really good. You know, speaking of the McDonald's, by the way, I was reminded of the band Tater Tots and that record Alien Sleesacks from Brazil, Volume 3, which came out on Giant Records, label I worked at. Rest in peace, Bill Bartel, by the way, the man behind Gasatanka Records and White Flag and, and, and Tater Tots and all those bands. I don't know why, but I, I, I thought of that. So that record was number two. That was a good one. And then the third one is was the White Stripe self-titled first record, which I didn't have on vinyl. You know what really pissed me off? I've learned to appreciate Jack White more and more over the years, but you know, he has a shaky history of beating people up and being a dick sometimes. Ghetto Recorders is mentioned on the record, but there's no mention of Jim Diamond, the guy who engineered the record and who had to sue the White Stripes because he didn't get a production credit. He lost the lawsuit, by the way. And I was a little upset that they didn't even give him a, his name wasn't even on the record. Ghetto Recorders, his name is on the record, but not Jim. And I worked with Jim. Jim's a good guy, you know. He produced one of the Charms records, did several Love Me Nots records, did a Go Go Girls record when I worked with them. And he's produced a lot of other great garage rock bands all around the world. So I was a little disgruntled by that. So I bought three new records. None of them completely blew me away. They were all pretty good. I'm just being honest here. But, you know, I have an addiction to vinyl. I couldn't not take advantage of the buy two and get one free. And that's the whole moral of the story. All right. Speaking of Newberry Comics, let's listen to an interview I just did with Richie Parsons. So um, I try, I wanted to get you to come down uh, after Jim Harrell's passing. I know we talked and we couldn't work that out. So I wanted to start off by, I know you and him have had a long relationship and you became really good friends. You want to just talk about Jim for a few minutes? Uh, absolutely. Um, the Rat was the very first club I went to when I was underage. Uh, I was in high school working at uh, Feline's basement, and uh, I went to see The Runaways on March 16th, 1977, I remember. What a show. And um, I knew I, w I wouldn't be able to get in because I was only 17, so I actually called the club and spoke, asked to speak to the manager, and it was Jim Harold. and I said, you know, I promise I won't drink. You know, like, it was just hysterical. I'm sure he thought it was the funniest thing he ever heard. And, you know, lo and behold, so I went with my brother and a kid from the neighborhood, and uh, they met me at Feline's, and we went up to Kenmore, um, and I saw The Runaways, and, like, the opening band was Thunder Train, yeah. and I'm right up front, and it's, like, Mark Bell and, you know, crazy... And there was a guy sitting at a table next to me doing his homework from MIT. And after Thunder Train and before the Runaways, the, uh, the, I think they put another table up front and freaking Iggy Pop sits next to me. So I'm like, my first night in the club, you know, there's Iggy Pop. The kid doing his homework lent me a piece of paper so I could get his autograph. <laughs> and wow. he, he played that night at Harvard Square with uh, Bowie for the the Idiot Tour. He was there too, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was in oh. Harvard Square that night. Uh, so it was just unbelievable. And then uh, Jackie Fox, the bass player, took her shirt off and threw it at me. And that hung on my bedpost for about 20 years. <laughs> so I was like, 
I was just taken back. It was like, this is like rock and roll. This is what, you know, I just dig it. And I was taking a lot of photographs back then. So I, I uh, my English teacher had, in high school lent me his camera. <laughs> and I took pictures that night. Well, you see, Mark Bell was, you know, he's he's been on my show and he talked about that too. You guys oh, yeah. are the only two guys I know that were actually <laughs> at that show. Was there a lot of people at that show? Oh, they, they, it was packed. It was a couple of nights. Yeah. And so, you know, beyond that, the next time I went to the RAD, I think, was for the Mark Thor benefit, uh, which was 9-11-77, I believe. Um, but anyway, uh, that was like an all-day affair, and that was the first time I saw La Peste, the first time I saw the Nervous Eaters, oh, the first time, I, like, so many bands. So I really started taking more and more photographs and going to more shows. And you were still a teenager at that yeah, point. Yeah, I was still in high school, or just, just out of high school by, by September of 77. So, um, yeah, and Tommy White and I were writing songs together and stuff, and, you know, we had kind of like a, well, it was a real band. We didn't have a drummer or anything yet, but we were writing songs. And we started playing at Cantones and stuff, so my relationship and friendship with, with Jimmy started, you know, a little later in 77. Uh, and, you know... Every band I played, he supported. Um, he really, really liked us. And, you know, I'm not sure. Sometimes people give him a, a hard time, but, you know, he was a businessman, so there were, I'm sure there are reasons not to like him, you know, in that respect. But he was a great guy, and he became a great friend. And, in fact, I played the very last night The Rat was open with Chris Doherty. Uh, he, you know, Gang Green played and Tomato Monkey played. That was the last night there was music. So um, it was quite an honor. It was a great run, too. Beyond that, we we stayed friends and uh, go out on his boat every summer a couple of times. And uh, my wife and, you know, just some of the granny and some of the Boston rock guys that were from the, I call it the generation before me, but because those guys were already established, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people I talked to after that all, everyone seemed to agree that that was like the official end of the rat when Jim passed away, you know, it was like- yeah. That was the end right mm -hmm. there. Because even though I think it was 98 or something when yeah. it originally closed. Yeah, I was there. I wasn't there that last night. <laughs> I guess I guess it got pretty crazy in there that night, yeah. didn't it? Oh, my God. I have, um, I have the chairs that they had when they had outside tables when there was a Red Sox game. I got four of those iron chairs, and I have a bar stool in my basement. You got a bar stool from, from the, the rat. rat as well. So, yeah, I, I'm... <laughs> I made good on the looting, you know. I don't know how we got it, but I was down at Darren Hill's store in Providence, and I didn't know until after I left, and I, I saw a picture that um, someone else posted. He's got the Rat Scaler sign. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I don't know how he got it. He probably had to pay some cash for that. I bet. Darren ended up with that. So where did, where did you grow up, Richie? What neighborhood? And when did you realize that music was important to you and you wanted to start? You started listening and then playing. When did, where did all that happen? Uh, well, I grew up in Dorchester, uh, Adams Corner neighborhood. And um, music was always a big part of my life. My dad would go into Feline's basement and come home with like two shopping bags full of records because, you know, he'd go bargain hunting. And um, he was always playing music. My oldest brother was into the, he was like of the Woodstock era. So like he had Hendrix and Zeppelin and all this stuff. So, uh, and course originally the Beatles and uh, so there's lots of music to listen to and I think a couple of my first albums I ever bought on my own were uh, 
Volunteers by Jefferson Airplane. Didn't you end up covering that? It's I a, did at cover one point? it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Linda Vienz and I uh, yeah. uh, sing it. Um, so yeah, music was always a part of the household. And uh, then when we, Tommy and I, decided to play together, um, my dad even co-wrote uh, Three Chord Rock" by Unnatural Acts. He wrote. He, really? We were sit- yeah, we were sitting in the kitchen working out the song, and my dad came in and asked what we were doing, and. He just like put down the very next line. He wrote it for us, you know. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. We generally play for just a few. If you don't like it, you can screw. <laughs> so Unnatural Acts was the first band that was yeah the very first, very band. first. Yeah. Wow. And uh, we met Frank, the bass player. He at um, like these community uh, lessons at Berkeley. That um, Frank lived in JP, but he was going to these lessons and. We didn't, I mean, those guys probably learned something. I just waited for the end of the classes so we could go into the rehearsal rooms and just plug in and play loud. Um, then we turned my basement into, uh, we called it the Rodent Club. <laughs> uh, but that's where we rehearsed in, in the basement. And uh, my dad used to say, uh, uh, Rita Rat would come down to, you know, to sing and to scream. She screamed on Hitler's Brains. And my, my dad called her Yellen Helen. Because he, so that was when he decided he'd go down the street to the pub. <laughs> now that song became a pretty big hit around here, everywhere, really. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the, the if you look they at saved the Hitler's plays, brain, I'm yeah. talking about, of course. Yeah, the plays all over the world are amazing. You know, it got us. I mean, it got us to go to play in Italy in 2006 because people knew that stuff. All those years later, really? Yeah, wow. people knew Unnatural Acts. I'm like, it's crazy. Wow. So um, how long was it Unnatural Acts around for? Was it a long run, was it? Um, so 77 to 79, and then we kind of broke up and did our first reunion in 81. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we haven't, there hasn't been a year we haven't played since. So we kind of didn't break up, but you know. Yeah, so you do a lot of reunion shows. Yeah, like, yeah. Nonstop. The Future Dads uh, was your next band, I believe. Yep. And Lee Harrington was in that band with you. Absolutely. How did that all come together? Um, you know, I was, the beginning of The Future Dads, we, uh, I think we auditioned a bunch of guitar players and we finally met Fritz Erickson. Um, and my brother Moose was playing sax. Um, it was just kind of like it was when hardcore was really starting and the acts were done, so I was trying to. I had more of a pop influence then, I think. Uh-huh. I mean, I listen to Future Dads now. It's, it almost has some emo elements or something <laughs> to it. But it was. I was trying to be the least hardcore because that wasn't my scene. You know, right? Plenty of other people had that covered. Um, but Future Dads had a had a good run. We were like we were like the businessmen uh, part of it. We. We made sure we played every weekend, and uh, you know we bought our own van with the money and stuff like that. Um, and all the guys in that van ended up playing in other vans and yeah, stuff. Yeah, Fritz right? played with uh, Gangrene, you band know, nineteen band nineteen yeah. with me. Uh, uh, Rich Kerr kept playing as well, and uh, of course Lee joined the Neighborhoods. So. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a fun band. When you say you played every weekend, what were some of the venues that you were playing at back? This is like the early eighties we're yeah, talking, right? Yeah. So I mean we played like we played Boston College, we played at uh BU, we played all the rock clubs and there was way more rock clubs around. Yeah. Uh you know, New Hampshire and 
Geno's in Maine and stuff like that. But uh, the accident, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Future Dads never ventured beyond New England, though. You know, Natural Axe had had a few gigs in New York. And, of course, long after we broke up, we played out in Chicago, too. But Future Dads kind of were, were homebodies. And and uh, I'm trying to keep this moving with the bands. So Band 19 so would be I, next. I really liked Band 19 a lot. I thought that band was like one of your – it's not my favorite band of yours. <laughs> We're getting to that one. But, you know, Band 19 was like – you guys had a really good buzz going around. Yeah, that was the rock band for sure. Uh, that was all about uh, Mike Collins drumming and Ed Reamer's bass playing and Fritz just like being the guitar guy. And that's funny because – all the hardcore kids loved Fritz, you know, and it, it, it kind of was the right time to be a little more rock, but we still had a, a real good pop sensibility, I'd say. Yeah, definitely. And did you, now, with Band 19, what label was Band 19 on? Modern Method. The, yeah, uh, Modern Method. The Newbury Comics guys. Yeah, because uh, Future Dads had a track on one of the Wicked Cool Time yeah. records, so, so you had a good relationship with... Yeah. Oh, of course you did. Did you see, you worked for Newberry Comics? <laughs> yeah, 33 which is years. The same guys, Modern Method. Yeah. So did you start working there when you were really young? Uh, let's see, 82, um, well, 33, 2017 minus 33. <laughs> However that <laughs> oh, worked. I, 84, I, I failed all I my math courses. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I, I was in um, Future Dads when I started there, and then they ended up putting out the band so 19. mike knew you were in a band and he just oh yeah approached you i mean and stuff it was it was different when, yeah, yeah it was different when everybody in the company was under 30 years old i mean that's amazing it was crazy and it was fun um and he was wicked good to us you know he we i could use the van if i needed the van for something and and he was a big fan he'd come to the shows and stuff so yeah besides the uh new comics empire uh they were really really good to local bands now, um, when at that time, I know a lot of people in bands ended up working at Newberry Comics. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's probably a long list. Do you guys ever get together and have, like, reunions? <laughs> I mean, Mark McKay was on yep. the show already, and he used to work for Newberry yeah, Comics. Yeah, we were. I worked with Marky. Yeah, it was awesome. And just before me, Amy, Amy Mann was at Newberry Street, and uh, Dave Smalley, uh, he was. Uh, wow, he was, I didn't he was know the, Dave worked at Newberry. Yeah, he was the comic guy. Uh, there's, yeah, my gosh, quite a list, and um, more so in the in the '90s though. That's when my, my Newberry comics. When I was in Braintree, that was a crew. I mean, those guys were crazy. That was. We had a lot of interactions with you back then as well. Yeah, so how many different Newberry... I didn't mean to turn this into a Newberry thing, <laughs> but it's unavoidable. Uh, how many different Newberry locations did you work at? Uh, Newberry Street, Harvard Square, Braintree, North Attleboro, oh, Providence, man. and... Uh, Braintree. <laughs> yeah, and Braintree and uh, Kingston. Yeah, so I worked at a bunch. I was gonna bring this up at the. I was gonna bring this up later, but I might as well bring it up now. I mean, I know you must remember this. Uh, you were a fan of Lucia from the uh, band Drill. Lucia Cifarelli. When I was at A and M, and I brought her down to your store. Yeah, that made you very happy. Oh, made everybody happy. Everyone got their picture <laughs> taken with her. She was wicked nice. I actually became friends with her for about four or five years after that. Um, yeah, she's awesome. There's a picture of her and I together. You might have even have taken that photo when she's oh, licking yeah. my face. 
Yeah, she was a real trip, man. Yeah. Yeah, your store was a really good store down there in Braintree, for sure. Yeah, the Braintree crew was the best, for sure. So Band 19, how long were you guys together? And- um, yeah, we gave it a few years, I think three maybe. Um, you know, and then Fritz got, you know, some other offers. We kind of, you know, it ran its course. There was nothing ugly about us breaking up or anything, you know. Were you always like, like just the band thing was it kind of always on the side for you or did you want to make it your main thing but you just couldn't get it that far at that time i mean where was you what was your mindset um the world's worst businessman <laughs> is number one uh number two i always was a little more practical and felt like i had to have a balance that the reason why you know we weren't going after the deal Basically, we were just playing to play and to play, and that kind of takes some pressure off, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's just it, really. You know, the world's worst businessman. <laughs> it's really hard to say, well, which one of these bands do you think was the better band? Because I'm sure you loved all the bands the same. Oh, yeah. But before we, the next band that I wanted to bring up was Tomato Monkey. And you kind of did get signed. Because yeah. Rick Hart is like a really great guy to work oh, with. When absolutely. he came on my show, he said Tomato Monkey was one of his favorite bands. Come Down, I've played on the show. That's uh-huh. one of my favorite songs, huh. period. <laughs> it's awesome. just so good. The ending man yeah, the yeah. way it goes along and it just kicks in it's pretty punk man it's like probably one of the more punkier things that yeah. you did and and tomato monkey was around for a long time actually yeah. you know through all the 90s and uh you know there's some of that 90s influence in there too uh but rick did an awesome job with the records and you know we have a ton more material we've recorded besides those records. So Rick always has a ton more material yeah. stuff laying around. Yeah. Did, did, how did that whole deal come about with Rick? Uh, you know, honestly, we just always been friends and, uh, I, I might've asked him to listen to some stuff and he, he wanted in, you know, the characters in the band really made a difference too. I mean, Brownie on guitar, uh, Mike Brown, he lives out in Illinois now, but, um, you know, he was amazing, and we we, are, we went through a few drummers, but, you know, that's what happens sometimes. Uh, but me, Frank, again, Frank Daler from Unnatural Acts, and Brownie um, really, really, really just loved getting together and rehearsing. We rehearsed under Looney Tunes on Boylston Street. That's kind of a, oh, yeah. a cool. bun- bunch of bands practiced down there. Alston, right? Uh, no, no, right, uh, Looney Tunes right in Boylston Street near... Uh, oh, yeah, 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 I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. near Berkeley. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, we would just make it, we would just have have a blast and just... We sometimes thought we'd never finish writing a song because every time we got together, we'd make a change uh, to it or something. But I, that's, I thought, when I thought we might be thinking a little too much. And, you know, so Beyond Tomato Monkey, that's where, where I kind of went back to just like, if it's three minutes... It doesn't need to be longer, you know. <laughs> I try to get I try to get everything I need to say in a, get in and get out. <laughs> uh, what are the, I want to go back for a second. This is my typical way of doing things. I'm all over the place. That's all right. There's a famous photo online of you and Stiv Baders. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah w- what's the story behind that photo? Because <laughs> the Dead Boys were one of the greatest bands oh, man, ever. They played four nights at the Rat, and I went four nights at the Rat. So what year was that? September of 77. 
Wow, you were yeah. like really in the early beginnings yeah. there. Oh my yeah. God. And so I photographed like crazy and then they did like an in-store at New England Music City across the street. I went to that and I have all my dead boy stuff signed. And, uh, you know, later on down the road, I'm friends with Cheetah Chrome and- Did you play with Cheetah Chrome? We backed yeah. him up in, yeah. in uh, Chicago and we backed him up a couple of times here. When you say we, was it- uh, Let's see, in Chicago, it was Frank and Tommy- I mean, no, yeah, Frank and Tommy. Was that right? No, Frank and Fritz. Ah, anyway, it was a, <laughs> it was it was a few of us and Jack Clark playing drums and uh, you know Cheetah Chrome coming to your house for rehearsals. Jack on drums. Always fun. Yeah, Jack Clark played drums. Uh, uh, Cheetah went to his house to rehearse too, and it was always pretty funny. Yeah, well, that's it's really interesting because I mean, I think when the Dead Boys came up around that time, they were still kind of like they hadn't really gotten as big as they became. not yet. No, yeah, they got they got pretty huge. How were you finding out about the Please Say Cream magazine? How were you finding out about <laughs> uh, the Runaways and the Dead Boys and those bands at that time? There was no internet or not or anything, you know. I there mean, was not. There was the Phoenix. There was Oedipus on WUMB on the Demi Moan in the afternoons on Saturdays, which I, I listened to religiously. And uh, Cream Magazine, of course. I have all my early Cream Magazines. I try and get, uh, you know, Lester Bangs' his name on my show as often as I can, <laughs> being one of my favorite writers of all time. Uh -huh. Were there any other bands besides, like, the Dead Boys and the Runaways that you saw at the, in the early days and late 70s? At, uh, at the Rat, you know, the Nuns. Stranglers, um, there was uh, the Diodes from Canada. They were awesome. So you were like full on devoted to the music scene when you were a teenager. Oh yeah, yeah. When I was working in Feline's basement, I met this woman, Denise Donahue. She worked down there, and she used to tell me that her boyfriend and her like they they live at the Ready Teddy House or something. And I'm like, what's the Ready Teddy House? So everything was like I was investigating everything. And then she's like, she should go to Cantones. My boyfriend plays in Baby's Arm. So it was Frank Rowe. And, uh, you know, that's when I saw, like, the real kids for the first time. And, oh, man, the best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that scene was incredible. So um, you it's really funny how you keep saying, how, what do you call it? Because I always call it oh, Filene's. Oh, fi oh Filene's, <laughs> Filene's is upstairs. <laughs> and, and people refer to Feline's basement. At, at, okay, in, how come I never knew that? <laughs> No, it's a Boston <laughs> thing. I think it's <laughs> <laughs> that's great, man. So um, I know you you went to a lot of shows at the Rat. Did you go the and you mentioned Cantones? Were there other venues that you used to like back then? Because I know there were a lot more around. Oh, town. sure, Paradise, uh, the the, um, the Space, which was down near Cantones. Um, yeah, there was just so many places. I didn't venture into Cambridge much back then. I don't know why. I mean, maybe. It was probably pre Middle East, and uh, obviously, but um, you know, maybe Jonathan Swift's, you know, but that was like getting into the eighties now. Going back ahead here to Tomato Monkey, did you like take a break at all for a while after that? Because I know you put two solo records out in two thousand fourteen and eighteen, but there right. seems to be like some time in between I did. there. Uh, two thousand six in the MySpace era. My daughter made me an unnatural acts page. And that's when I said to my wife, I go, it seems like 
people in Italy like Unnatural X, you know? <laughs> then this woman messages me, do you want to play a festival? And it was like, we went there for four days. It was just unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable. We, we had so much fun. We got to stay in the same hotel for four days and played one show. And then we, we for a friend who had the record store nearby, we played in his record store too, um, kind of unplugged or whatever. But um, made so many friends, uh, lifelong friends. And that Christmas, I got my wife gave me a, a recorder, and I just started writing. And I started writing with my friends in Italy, and I started writing about my friends in Italy. You know, it was it just really got me going again. And up until that point, I never really played guitar in my house. It was like you go to the rehearsal space to right. go play guitar. But this changed everything. And a lot of the songs from Honey and Tears come from uh, that time, um, you know, a few years earlier. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's just sparked a whole new thing. And there, and the, the my friends in Italy, their, their music knowledge of American power pop, which I wasn't an aficionado, but they sure were. And so it opened up my ears to all this new kind of music, and we started writing stuff together, and uh, it's it's been awesome. Yeah, both of these records are really good. Uh, the Honey and Tears record you put out in 2014, and then Black Throated Blue. I want to ask you about the title, Black Throated Blue. That's my favorite warbler, the Black Throated Blue warbler. So wow. my favorite bird, yeah. <laughs> You're a bird fan. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, this unfortunately this came when it came out in 2018 you know i know that seems like a long time ago but you have to realize that we just lost like two years yeah between yeah. now and then so it, to me it's kind of still like a newer you know a new release almost yeah you know? it feels that way to me too to be honest and when yeah. i listen to it i i a lot of singer songwriter stuff going on i mean you seem to have developed and changed your style quite a bit over the years yeah i mean it can't be a 17 year old punk your whole life i mean i have seen some people that think they are still but that's okay good for them i just don't have the uh i don't know the angst or the whatever there's still plenty of things to be pissed off in the world about and i still have you know i have a punk album in me that is you know i recorded about eight songs of that kind of stuff but this is just like what really makes me happy right now and the first out in the the honey and tears album there is peop people playing from all over the world on it basically and that was just kind of put together and ken stringfellow from the posies did the production and played and we never really had a whole band in the studio at once for that album um you know different drummers, et cetera, um, lots of different vocalists. People send it when, and then for um, Black Throated Blue, actually when I, we mixed um, we mixed Honey and Tears in Paris, I went to Ken's studio and um, we were still getting, you know, uh, tracks sent in to us, you know, from, from different people. And uh, that's how we finished that up. And then for Black Throated Blue, Ken came here and we recorded in my friend's barn, Ed's barn. And uh, he did a great job on that too. Yeah, I like the people that you're playing on your record too. You know, Brother Cleve on keyboards. That's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, and now Malcolm Travis is in yeah. the band. You know, it's like, it's, I can hardly wait to get the next thing going. 
So I know you've been doing some stuff around town. Was it Tony Kaczynski that you've been teaming up with? Um, well, we did at the Plow on Sunday. You did? Yeah, because normally I'll play if I'm doing an acoustic thing with Doug Harper on guitar and uh, Elisa Birdseye on viola. Um, both of them were out of town for that Plow gig. So I called up Tony and I said, hey, I'm doing a set at the Plow. Do you mind singing some songs with me? And he goes, oh, I'm playing that day too. So he came over the house, we worked out, he sang one of my sets, three of my songs, and then I sang a tune with him, and uh, it sounded real good. He's a heck of a player and singer. So you're going to do a lot more gigs around the Boston area? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep playing as long as people have me, you know. This fall, I think I'm doing something with Eric Martin. He has nice. a, a Sunday residency now in the fall at um, the Midway in J.P., Great. I, Eric was down here, too, and uh, I saw him over at Notch Brewery. Really mm -hmm. good, man. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, he's incredible, man. Yeah, I'm trying, I was over at his house the, a couple of weeks ago, too, practicing some stuff together with him, so we might actually make a recording as well. Yeah. So you've seen a lot of changes over the years from when you started watching in the 70s. Mm -hmm. What is your perception of where we were there and where we are now with what has happened with physical releases to digital? And now it seems like vinyl's made a bit of a comeback. Some people are still making CDs. You've seen the whole thing, man. Yeah. What's your impression of everything that's happened since the 70s to now? <laughs> I mean, I know that's a big question, but... Well, I mean, you know, when I, I'll put it in terms of like my Newbury Comics career. Uh, vinyl was always sold... And there was a shoebox on the counter with all the CDs we sold. And then that rapidly changed, you know? And now the vinyl's back. I think it, it takes like a year to get a record made, though. Yeah, it's now, tough. It's crazy. But you can also do your band camp and have people hear it right away. I think that's how people are really building fan bases through the digital stuff, uh, the, the younger people. What's your go-to when you want to listen to music? Do you do the vinyl? I mean, do you have an 8-track machine? <laughs> <laughs> I have a cassette player <laughs> in, the, at the, in the house, but I have my turntable and I have my vinyl, and that's usually it, or CD in the car. I have, like, Spotify on, on my phone, I guess, and I, I never listen to it. You know, I pay five bucks a month or whatever, but... Now I'm starting to, to listen to it more. Like if I'm in the house on the computer or something, I won't put on an album necessary. I might just put on You're Spotify. trying to find something really quick. You know, I always go yeah. either on YouTube or Spotify because it seems like you can find everything yeah. there. Uh, you know, you're the perfect guy for me to ask the, I love, I love lists, but I'm not going to make you give me an order or anything. But I am going to ask you, who, like if I, let's say, let's go international first. Who would you say, I think you already probably named definitely one of them, like your all-time favorite bands or artists, international. You could keep the Boston bands on the sure. back burner for now. Uh, well, absolutely, the Helicopters from Sweden are my number one. Um, oh, I was expecting yeah. someone else to be your number one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> I thought you were going to say the Dead Boys. Uh -huh. I really did. Well, the Dead Boys, you know, sure, I love the Dead Boys. I'll go see Cheetah when he comes around again and stuff like that. But the helicopters, uh, they, I don't know, they still tour over in Europe, still do shows. I went uh, two years ago to see them on a boat in um, in New York. They played in, on a like a harbor cruise. Unbelievable. And the funny thing was, because everybody that was there, people came from all over the country to go see them. 
everybody's wearing Turbo Young, uh, you know, oh, jean yeah, jackets yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff. And they're they were another favorite of mine, not so much anymore. But their career with Hank, uh, Hank Von Hell, uh, they were definitely a top a top favorite. Um, and then for just like kind of like poppier type stuff, I mean, the Posies. I I came to them late, but uh, boy oh boy. Un- unbelievable they got stuff. You. Yeah, yeah, and I love Ken's solo stuff too. Um, and then you get to work with them. That's cool. yeah, right. That was even even more fun. Yeah, um, but you know, those are kind of the top uh, out there bands. I'm sure I'll think of a couple more when I start talking about the Boston bands. But <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited to hear uh, your your favorite Boston bands of all time because you go all the way back to the '70s with right. the Real Kids and and DMZ and all those bands, all the way up to like you know we've seen. Let's face it, Boston's, you know, definitely one of the top music cities in the world, you know? So, I mean, saying who your favorite Boston band right. is is, like, a really difficult. Well, yeah, but it's also like an age thing, you know? If you ask somebody that was half my age, it would, you know, it might be wh- whoever, Juliana Hatfield or something. But, you know, since I was around, it's definitely absolutely number one and two real kids, Nervous Eaters, and that's flip-floppable. Can you believe the Nervous Eaters are still out there making new records? And, and it's the best-looking lineup yet. <laughs> <laughs> Brad Brad Helene was down here not too long ago. He's looking pretty suave. <laughs> yep, they're a good-looking bunch. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're absolutely all, all-time favorites. Um, and then, uh, you know, La Pest, and th- then there's like my era. Did you, you see know? La Pest a lot? Oh yeah, oh, oh you're lucky, lot. man. I never saw yeah. them. Were you ha- were you there the, when the when La Pest and the neighborhoods played that historic finals at the Rat? I was at a barbecue that afternoon and decided I didn't want to go. Oh, <laughs> but, but this week I found a cassette of the Hood set in my in my house, so I'm like, oh, I have to give that a listen. Nice. Oh, I would have just be able to love to turn the clock back and be at that show. Oh yeah, the whole that whole that whole rumble was unbelievable. You know, the the, the four finalists I think were. Um, Unnatural Acts, Thrills, La Peste. You were in the, the finals that year? The, the semifinals. Nice. So those guys were in the... I'm sorry yeah. I didn't know. I'm or, sorry I didn't oh, mention sorry. that. No, that's all right. Um, but anyway, yeah, my, those, that's my top two favorite Boston bands. And then of my era, as I said, you know, La Peste and The Girls, uh, Thrills. There's, you know, lots of... And they were all friends, too. So that's how that kind of comes about. You go see your friends play. Um, supposedly you go see your friends play. I don't know if that's Is true. there a specific <laughs> record that sticks out when you think about all these Boston bands, like one specific record? Um, I'd say the early on, the Live at the Rat album was like turned oh, yeah. me on to a ton of bands. Um, and again, like Willie Loco and the, the Inflictors, absolutely the most underrated, best. Early Boston, Ace early, of Hearts yeah, band. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, they were almost like sinister sometimes, but they they were like, so good. Um, and then beyond that, like the hoods. So of course the neighborhoods, prettiest girl single, just, uh, unbelievable. Anything they did or David does, uh, I love. So, um, uh, let's see. And then the younger bands, you know, the gang green and, uh, the gang green and, uh, Jerry's kids and those guys, DYS. So the, so the hardcore bands did eventually get your, your attention. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, I think gang green were, not as hardcore as like the super fast stuff. They're a little more rock, you know. That's kind of probably why I, you know, 
clammed onto them. Yeah, another wasted night definitely slowed down a little yeah. from this is Boston, not LA. No exactly doubt. right. Yeah. I imagine you're probably good friends with Chris Doherty. Oh, yeah. He's from Brain Braintree, right? Yeah. yeah. We talk. I talked to him just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Do you live down in the South Shore in the Boston area? Yep. I live in Quincy now. Quincy? Yeah, Quincy. <laughs> not too far from Dorchester. So, you know, I always say I'm, uh, I'm in Quincy for now. Did you have something to do with surfing in Dorchester Bay, the song? Uh, yeah, I <laughs> sure I know did. You did. <laughs> I know you did. What's, this, what's the story behind that? Uh, that was actually at the tail end of Unnatural Acts. Uh, Frank and I wrote that song. So, um, And then when the acts broke up, I asked Howie Ferguson to play drums. Great drummer. Monoman plays keyboards, and Ralph Fatello plays guitar. So... Um, it's a pretty good lineup in and of itself. Howie always says it's one of the favorite things he ever recorded. Um, but that's a fun single, you know, still gets a lot of, uh, you know, when I go to the Erie pub in Dorchester, I'll, someone will mention it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure of it, man. It's like one of those legendary Boston tracks that always seems to come up. Well, hey, man, thank you very much for taking the time to come down here to Voice Motel, talk to us. And I'm just I'm honored that you're here because you're, you're a legend as far as I'm concerned, as far as the Boston music scene Oh, thank scene you, goes. Steve. That's also awful nice. And uh, I wish you the best of luck and keep on writing and keep putting records out because these solo records you did are fantastic, man. Sorry I'm a little late uh, to the game here, but, you know, I mean, it's like I I'm appreciate sure it. I can't wait for the next one. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Steve.
That was six hours ahead from the 2018 album entitled Black Throated Blue by Richie Parsons. Really good album if you haven't checked it out. I'm a little late coming to the party on that one. It's been out for a few years, but a couple of those years, like I mentioned in the interview, were like lost years for everybody, including me. Richie's highly respected in the Boston music scene, and for good reason. Can you believe he was at the Runaway Show and the Dead Boys and all those bands at the Rat, and we talked about Jim Harold in the interview. I know they were friends, so I had to bring that up. So it was really good finally having Richie on the show, and I hope you enjoyed that interview that we did. So if you're enjoying the podcast in general, you can follow us all over social media. I like to send people to our Instagram page, at Blowing Smoke with TR. We also have a page on Facebook, Twitter. There's a YouTube page. A lot of cool videos on there, the Zoom interviews I did, if you want to check those out. And we now have a TikTok page, which is just at Twisted Rico, if you want to check that out. You can reach me at any time at twistedrico at gmail.com. Send me music, write me, let me know what you think of the show. I love to hear the feedback. I want to thank Baby Loves Tacos and Spectacle, our new sponsor, for supporting this show. And all the fine folks that support us on Patreon and Anchor, patreon.com forward slash Twisted Rico and anchor.fm forward slash Blowing Smoke with TR. You can join either one of those for only $1 a month. Love to have your support. Also, a big thank you here to Mike Nash here at Voice Motel for recording the show. Fun being back in the studio. Until the next time we say goodbye, this is Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. Keep the rock and roll alive. Voice is recorded at Voice Motel, voicemotel.com, your complete podcast recording experience. Located in Union Square, Somerville, Massachusetts. They've saved Hitler's brain!